listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So tonight I get to speak to you in front of one of my all-time favorite Buddhist symbols. You can notice this painting on the wall behind. We have the Buddha, uh, or a version of the Buddha, sitting protected by, let's see, it's the one, two, three, eight, nine snakes, Nagas, as they rise behind him, okay, they protect him. Now, there are all sorts of neat uh, mythologies kind of uh, mixed in here and I certainly don't claim to be an expert but the way this particular icon always struck me especially when I was having a really rough time as a meditator was that the trials and tribulations that we have oddly enough support us in this practice just as much as the bliss and glory that can be brought about by meditation that which appears to be horrible to the mind can ultimately lead us to our awakening in more contemporary terms there's this great debate I read about recently between, I think I may have spoken to you guys about this before, between Karl Popper, this famous 20th century philosopher, and uh, Ludwig von Wittgenstein. And these two guys at Cambridge came at the world and their, their world views, I should say, in really different ways. And oddly enough, Wittgenstein, who is just way out there intellectually, just quite a gifted, gifted human being, and Popper too, in his own way, Wittgenstein looked at this whole experience of existence and Popper looked at this whole experience of existence. Popper said we have problems in philosophy, in life, and Wittgenstein said no, we do not. We have situations. We have situations that we add value to or add an interpretation to And in doing this, we create a situation that catches us. Now, of course, he didn't say it like that. I'm totally paraphrasing. (laughs) But the idea is that there are no problems. And the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha's teaching, goes straight into that place. There are no problems. There are only situations how we choose to relate to these problems, excuse me, these situations. That's our work. If you've read The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle talks about this. He says, you know, why, it's, why create a problem out of it? It's a situation. Why create a problem? It may be a situation that you ascribe negativity to, you know, that you resist with tremendous force and so forth. It may be all those things. But the problem 
this mind created. And this is the last thing that our ego wants to hear. Our ego does not want to hear that there are no problems. Our ego usually comes at this kind of statement from the teaching and it says, okay, that's wrong. This teaching is, is full of itself. It's stuck. It doesn't apply to the real world. It, you know, all these great stories kind of come up. The ego is dancing around on the stage of mind, railing against this type of, type of work. But if we really take a step back and look at our life with total openness, what we get a chance to do is we get a chance to actually watch this situation, be it positive or negative. Either way, we watch the situation. And in that watching, in that presence that is beyond the situation, we have infinite choice. This does not mean we go once again and become spiritual couch potatoes. Okay? We don't just go away, bliss out on a mountaintop, go into a It could, could happen. That might be helpful. But we've got to bring it back. The real work of the bodhisattva, or the, the helpful person, is to take what is seen, they bring it back in a way that is known, and offer every bit of their life in the service of helping others. Helping others find this very peace that is now known in the heart and mind of a bodhisattva which is a fancy name for just a helpful person, which is a very common name for a saint. So, even in the midst of all of our snakes, we're supported infinitely. Even in the midst of all of our snakes, we are supported infinitely. Whatever illness we may have, whatever problem we may have with a relationship, whatever loss we may have endured, whatever future situation looms, all of that stuff has the opportunity, has the opportunity to open us to not getting caught by them. In this icon, the Buddha sits with the Nagas or the snakes around him, almost covering him like an umbrella. In this way, okay, our Nagas, our snakes, our dragons, our demons, whatever they may be, can actually act as doorways for us to pass through. Everything, everything but everything is what we call a Dharma eye an opportunity to go through the clouds and into the sky, into the light, into our light that is miraculously shared with all others. This deep singularity is not separate from us. We are it. It is us and all others. And when we come from that place, it's said that we come from a place of wisdom. When we come into the world from that place, we embody compassion. Compassion is our natural spontaneous activity that is infused 
and informed by this wisdom. So in order to walk awake, as we sometimes say, in order to really kind of walk this talk, it's important that we recognize a couple of things. First of all, wisdom is not true wisdom if there is no tenderness to it. And compassion is not true compassion, as we sometimes say, if there is no discernment with it. It takes strength and tenderness for this to work. If you're one of these people that gets pushed around a lot internally and or externally, you might want to face your life with a little bit more upright energy. And if you're one of these people who kind of attacks life and his or her situations, you might want to focus on softening a little. You can become your own personal Zen master in this way, your own spiritual alchemist, spiritual pharmacist. Figure out exactly what medicine you need. Know where you are. And in that knowing, that knowing where you are, suddenly you're giving yourself exactly what you need. But it takes honesty. It's about not going after and not evading. It's about meeting your life fully. So with this metaphor of walking awake, walking from the situation of the nagas or the snakes or the demons that cover us, walking from there, it needs those two legs. It needs tenderness and it needs uh, uprightness to it. We cannot, for instance, be uh, misinterpret our compassion. When our compassion becomes egoic, it tends to get lost. And by that I mean um, it, gets, it gets mushy. It doesn't have discernment. Uh, it's sometimes described by certain teachers as, uh, like Trungpa Rinpoche used to call it, idiot compassion. You have idiot compassion, and then you have true compassion. And idiot compassion is when there is somebody, for instance, uh, an alcoholic, and you can see that they are just, they are Jones, and they have the shakes, the DTs, and so forth. And what do you do? You decide, well, let's, let's alleviate this, these symptoms and give them a beer. That's not compassion. You're prolonging the pain. You're just putting a little band-aid rather than getting to what's at, at core. What is the most compassionate thing to do? Perhaps just be with them. It's like when someone is dying. One of the most powerful things any of us can ever do when someone is literally dying is to just be with them and hold their hand. They don't need us to say anything. Maybe they do. They might ask us. But just to be with practice with our life without evading or attacking. This can be very, very powerful. True compassion we see oftentimes is the dismantling of our egoic tendency to cling and attach to things. And it comes from this dismantling comes from surrendering to what is actually happening.
It's facing what's real in us and outside of us. It's where we forgive ourselves and others. And in that forgiveness, a certain wisdom comes. And that wisdom allows us to either stay with whatever situation we happen to be in, change whatever situation we happen to be in, or leave whatever situation we have to be in. But that comes from an open surrender. It rarely comes from a place of idiot compassion where we are closed and thinking of justice, doing good. You know, all those things are nice, but when they come from an egoic place, they tend to generate attachments, and attachments are what really cultivate our suffering. So letting go of ego entirely is actually true compassion. And walking with those legs is when we bring awakening into the world for others, with others, as others. For those of us interested in actually bringing about a deeper discernment, you know, where we can actually have a discriminating awareness as opposed to a judgmental mind. You recognize the difference there in those words? A judgmental mind compartmentalizes and categorizes and so forth and usually gives a value or an evaluation to whatever it sees. All right? A discriminating awareness, on the other hand, is something that recognizes, oh, a thought from the past. Oh, thought. It's from the past again. Oh, a thought. Oh, that's future. Oh, another future judgment. Huh. But it doesn't add anything extra. Nothing extra is added. It's just a discerning awareness. And it's that nothing extra that can be so beautiful in people. There's nothing extra added. It was one of the great ways that uh, Suzuki Roshi was described by my own teacher who um, mentioned that one of the ways he was referred to by others was that there's just nothing extra about him. The simplicity weakened your knees and took your breath away. And so we cultivate this simplicity by meeting this deep singularity in our sitting practice. By finding stillness so that the I am still, I am part of the all, simply becomes stillness, part of the all. The I begins to become much less significant that little I, which is the thing that always gets caught, okay, it's always what gets caught, begins to become less and less and less important, less and less of a magnet for past and future. We actually begin to demagnetize that entire situation. As a result, we don't get caught so much. And when we don't get caught so much, there's much greater opportunity for surrender. Absolute participation, but surrendered participation. Compassion and wisdom begin to work together 
in that space. And we walk with the feet of saints, which is another way of saying bodhisattvas, which is another way of saying we just become helpful, utterly simple. So simple we take each other's and everybody else's and our own breath away. We recognize that every single thing is teaching. Everything is a Dharma eye. Every single serpent of horror that we might find anywhere near us actually works to keep us focused on what really matters and how we can truly participate in this world from a place of openness rather than being closed. Whenever you quote the Dalai Lama, people think you're offensive. Well, well, well no, that's well, this particular quote. I mean, I can see why, because it depends yeah. on your own ego. But, you know, he said, there's no point in being stressed out because either you can do something to fix the problem or you can't do anything to fix the problem anyway, so what's the point of being stressed out? Yeah. And uh, people hate that. So let's, let's go over that quote again. So he says, there's no point in being stressed out right. because you can either do something about it yeah. Or can't do something about it. So what's the point? So what's the point of being stressed out? Exactly. Yeah. How cool is that? <laughs> People hate it. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be stressed. Let's th yeah, well, up, uh, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Why do you think egos hate it? Because they what? What'd she say? They want to be stressed. Egos want to be stressed. Why? It's their identity. Hang on. <laughs> Identity. It's if they aren't stressed, okay, they're only half of what they can be, right? They either are in pain or a varying degree of pain or fearful. That's ego. It's only there. Only. Varying degrees of pain or varying degrees of fear. And stress is a form of low-grade but perpetual fear. It can be circumstantial, or it can be kind of anxiety, which is all the time. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you actually ever take stress away from a person, okay, ego will create it to become complete. Which is why we sit. Because in the sitting, we dismantle the function of ego. Okay? Only if we sit do we dysfunction. Stillness is the only thing that brings the ego into a space where it can't work. It can't work in stillness. Something has to be moving. It's got to be moving in order for it to, to get involved. So, boy, what a great quote by our old pal, uh, the Dalai Lama, His Holiness. And um, how true. If we don't have problems, where does ego go? To the place where it can create problems. So 
and and egos hate here people hate hearing this because then it means you mean every single one of my problems is is my doing no your problems aren't necessarily your doing your problems are you getting caught the choice to get caught and to look at it as a problem or to actually unattach from it not detach but unattach from it and study it is what gives us the freedom to respond appropriately and as you know an appropriate response is what buddha buddha very good <laughs> so that's our buddhahood I know I blather on sometimes when you like just give something elegant up to the group. I apologize for that, but it's um, sometimes I feel like I get a little kickstart. <laughs> In one of your talks that I listened to, I wasn't here; it was on the iPod. Um, you said when something arises, I guess if it makes you angry or frustrated say what do you really want what do you really 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 want and you said that over and over really want and I've I've done that a few times when something arises that is pretty petty and I, you know you can start getting worked up about it and you think what do you really want yeah and you really want peace you want husband to be happy, you want your kids to find what they need. And if you really, when something grabs you like that, just say that. The nice testimonial there, yeah. Isn't that amazing though? I mean, what do we, how often do we ever come close to that question, really? You know? What do we really getting underneath that and it's a it's a dharma door opening wide whenever we can and i mean the way you describe that i mean what do we really want really i mean when the petty stuff arises it's like the uh, the 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 book you know don't sweat the small stuff yeah. and it's, it's all small stuff <laughs> you know even that big stuff that's just like the horrible tragedy or whatever yeah i mean okay that's awful but guess what the intensity and the pain that you feel from that is always going to be what? No matter, no matter what, it'll be a temporary feeling if you are open to what's beyond it, which is exactly the door that you open every single time you ask that question. What do we really, really, really want? This isn't to deny our pain. It's not to deny it, of course, but it's, it goes back to that saying that I... I you know, throw down so much. Um, what is it? The birds, the birds of just because the birds of sorrow fly over your head, doesn't mean you have to let them nest in your hair. And whenever we're asking what we really, really want, we're actually shaving our heads. They can't land. You know, they can't get caught. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs>
Oh, thank you so much. Anyone else? Are we done? Thank you. Remember, remember, we have a, uh, a retreat on October 20th, 21st and 22nd. If anybody wants to come, guaranteed enlightenment. <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed. No sweat. Or your money partially back. <laughs> An incredible food. It's a, it's a neat gift to yourself, honestly. I think several of you have actually been... Um, we're a little bit, little bit short on, uh, on people that are going to be able to go this time, so it would be really helpful, actually, if uh, anybody wants to, wants to fill in some of the spots that um, weren't filled. Uh, but other than that, I will see all of you next week.